Welcome to another episode of Chalk Talk. Today we have an awesome guest for you guys. We have Villanova Wildcats star guard Colin Gillespie joining us to talk about his basketball career, the Wildcats runs to the NCAA tournament, and much more. Should be awesome. As always, Spence is here with me. What's good, Spence? How you doing? Jay Barr, how we doing? Just another day in quarantine, living the life, find your beach, even though your beach may be your basement, that is okay because it is mine. Yeah, Memorial Day uh, weekend coming up. Not too much is going on. You got to kind of, uh, I don't know, make, make your own fun, I guess, right? Make the best of it. Sip a couple of cold ones in the backyard. Um, you know, have a little banter with some friends and family if you can. Definitely. All right, to get into some sporting news, some sad news today, Jerry Sloan, the Hall of Fame jazz coach, just passed away. Very, very sad news out of Utah. I believe Jerry was 78 or 79 years old. I can't remember exactly, but hate to see a Hall of Fame coach of his caliber uh, go away so soon in his life. you know, we send out our deepest condolences and best wishes to the Sloan family, but Jerry will certainly be remembered for his uh, great successes in the NBA. Definitely, and it's just crazy that we all just watched him in the the Jordan documentary. It seemed like in the post, post-game post interviews, he had like a good sense of humor, but you could tell he was like a, a no-nonsense guy, and uh, I was reading up on him a little because obviously he's before our time, Spence, but... Uh, it seemed like John Stockton and Carl Malone really uh, respected the way he, he ran the show over there in Utah. No doubt, no doubt. No, and Garrett, you got to uh, think that he had a great uh, impact on their two careers there as he was their coach for a very long time and improved their games over uh, a long number of years. So I'm sure, uh, you know, Johnny as well as uh, – Carl, the mailman, and uh, even Jeffy Hornacek are very um, saddened of the news of his loss. Definitely. I'm sure uh, Utah will be uh, mourning him, and we just want to give our respects out, like Spence said, to the Sloan family, of course. Uh, in other NBA news, the, there's a possible continuation of the season. People are talking. No one really knows what's going on, but Orlando and Disney, as well as Vegas, have been thrown out as possibilities to host a tournament style, maybe playoffs. I was watching ESPN and I saw Stephen A. Smith going off about how like some teams we don't, we don't even need to see, like we don't need to see these horrible teams playing. Like they're, they were going to be on their couch in this month anyway. You know what I mean? Like, so we don't need to see the Warriors, you know, like we don't need to see the Knicks play. So yeah, yeah. Just, just, just throw them over at Broward County Community College and have them play <laughs> their games over there. And let me watch the Lakers and the Clippers playing in the middle of Disney World. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, dude. I mean, let's just get into the let's just get into the good stuff. Uh, we don't need to see all those other teams. I think tournament style play with all the teams that are left. Who says no? I think you just got to make an adaption. It's it's crazy times. You got to kind of evolve. Hold the cocktails and the appetizers. I'm only here for the entree and the dessert. Thank you very much. Here for that porterhouse. Here for that porterhouse. I want to see some Lakers Clippers action. Give me the porterhouse. Give me the sirloin. Give me the spicy tuna rolls and give me the chocolate mousse. We're good. I'm I'm definitely not uh, like especially looking forward to like Frank 
Najinka <laughs> playing, you know, like I, I don't care about him. I'm trying to watch some good, good basketball. Yeah, who cares about Frank Najinka and Bogan <laughs> Bolonova when you could be talking about LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard? I mean, let's be real here. We want to see the best of the best. It's just how it is. Uh, you know, I love my guys, the the foreign as well as the local grown uh, U.S. guys that are uh, giving it their all on these. You know, not as fortunate franchises of today, but it's just how the cookie crumbles, and um, we're looking to see the best. I mean, just two things. One, you got to keep in mind that the season was winding down anyway, so like we'd be into the meat of the playoffs at this point, and all these teams would be watching from their couch, like either way. And then, secondly, I'm all for the like the Florida or Vegas tournament style or, or whatever they decide to do. I actually really trust Adam Silver here. He's He's been like uh, – he's showing that he's like a creative guy. I, I think – honestly, I'm hoping they should be able to get something done like that. But who knows? Yeah, I mean, no doubt. Um, Adam Silver is ahead of the eight ball. He knows what he's doing. Very uh, creative but also very realistic in the fact that he does not want to risk the – uh, health as well as the well-being of his players and their families so he's going to consider all scenarios here and make sure that it is the best one possible and if it's chalking up a hundred or so contingency plans that he will do because he's just that kind of guy and I was actually uh, watching ESPN the other day and they had Doc Rivers on talking with Rachel Nichols, I believe. And he, he was saying, like, he's not even letting his 65-year-old assistants into the facilities. I believe uh, they had opened up some of their facilities. And while Doc is even 55, I mean, you got to see some risk with him. But he's, he's all for it. He, he's, uh, you know, watching out for his guys, I guess. Maybe he has some previous health problems and um, doesn't want him to uh, be, I guess, um, uh, vulnerable vulnerable to the virus or uh, exposed to it. But, um, yeah, Doc Rivers sounds like he's ready to go. He seems confident that the season will be back, but remains to be seen. Yeah, I think these guys are rearing to get going. Um, but like you said, you just got to do it the safest way possible. So, again, I trust Adam Silver. I'm sure he'll keep all that stuff in mind when he's looking at the possible plans. The players, I mean, I think they can pretty much, like, govern themselves as far as, like, do you even need coaches? Like, let's just play. Let's just toss the ball out there and, and let these guys go. I don't think they really even need these guys. You look at – team like Lakers pretty much coached by LeBron already. So <laughs> I don't think they really need uh, like an old guy who, who could possibly get sick in uh, Frank Vogel out there. Yeah. I mean, like Jeremy said, for the sake of us as fans and for the sake of the players, let's just roll the ball out there and have them ref themselves. Don't even have refs call your own fouls, you know, uh, just, just let it roll. Uh, you know, uh, I guess backyard style on the uh, hard, hardwood or, yeah, on the hardwood. Yeah, and we're, t- we're talking last dance a little bit. You, you look at the dream team practice, everyone's saying that's like the most – or that's the best basketball they've ever played in, how people sh- would have paid tons of money to be able to watch that. I'm thinking we should be able to do that for this playoffs. I mean, why not 
just have like the dream team. To, everyone's talking shit. Like roll the ball, call your own fouls. I'm here. I'm here for it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, dream team. If we could see a style of scrimmage play like that on te- televised nowadays, I mean, fans would be ecstatic and viewership would be through the roof. So it's definitely something that would be enticing to most, if not all, sports fans at this point in time. But then kind of talking about the dream team practice, obviously the last dance has been all of the news recently in the sporting world. It just ended, which is very sad. Some days are going to look a little differently, but should we just get into our final thoughts about it? What do you think, Spence? Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, Jordan doc in episodes 9 and 10 definitely ended greatly. I mean, great docuseries. I just saw that they're coming out with a Brady one, which uh, I got mixed feelings about a little bit. I think releasing next year in a nine-part series. But, um, you know, all overall great uh, documentary. You know, 5.9 million viewers, very Jordan-like numbers. Um, I guess love to see that. Um, but, you know, obviously portrayed in a way in which Michael Jordan wanted it to be and had last cut. So he was able to uh, exempt some stuff from the doc that, you know, either portrayed him as negatively or um, maybe he did not want some things to be released. So just something to keep in mind because I think it could have been a little better in that sense and being more authentic. But overall, uh, 8.2. I agree. I agree. I think uh, you, you hit on all, all your spots there. I might even go higher than 8.2. I really enjoyed it. The Maybe one complaint I had was the timeline was like a Quentin Tarantino movie going back and forth through time. I got a little lost at points when they're playing in the playoffs in like 87. All of a sudden they're playing in 85. I can't really can't really get a didn't really get my bearings there and then another takeaway i had was i fucking love phil jackson dude i think phil jackson is the absolute man his like native american story of like meditating and like the team and, and whatnot is so sick i've i was already phil jackson fan and i am even more so a fan now i think he deserves a lot more credit in the basketball world than what he's gotten yeah, no doubt. I mean, Phil Jackson is no doubt a top three, top five coach of all time. Has had great success in the NBA. Um, definitely really went really in depth into his life and his background and his beliefs, which was interesting, no doubt. He was of, I guess, I don't even know, like a Sequoia Indian type um, philosophies that he uses in basketball, which is definitely an interesting comparison there, but it has worked well for him. So you got to uh, give the thumbs up to Philly there, no doubt. Then one more thing I just want to touch on uh, going away from Michael Jordan is the Steve Kerr story. I actually was unaware of that whole his father in Beirut incident, which is very sad and tragic and definitely gained a lot more respect. I already am a big time Steve Kerr fan, but wow, that, that was a really, that was a crazy story. And I, I'm, I'm even more so of a Steve Kerr fan now and how he really worked his ass off to get to the NBA and now being a great coach hats off to Steve Kerr. Yeah, that was, that was definitely a heart wrenching, heart wrenching bit there in the doc. Um, absolute 
craziness how his father was just like what was he like the principal of the school in Beirut or the he's like in it like some sort of like the head of the university, university yeah ambassador or something absolutely craziness definitely um have lots of respect to Steve but to talk about uh some of other uh Michael's teammates feedback from the documentary Horace Grant was actually taped on uh, ESPN 100 in Chicago with Cap and Co saying that he had downright outright completely lied in the documentary and he was referring to the Jordan rules book and that I guess Horace Grant tipped off Sam Smith the writer of that book into some of those rules which is which Horace is saying is absolute fables. Um, he was very disgruntled by the way uh, Michael had portrayed him in the documentary. And he thinks that he may have a grudge on him and that he should, uh, you know, say Fight face to face like a man, not over the <laughs> television with, uh, you know, 6 million people watching. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a case of, he said, he said, you know, like, do you believe Horace Grant? Do you believe Michael Jordan? It's really impossible to know unless you were there. For some reason, and I couldn't tell you why, I, like, believe Michael Jordan in this scenario and think that Horace Grant really did uh, leak the, that stuff to the press because he wasn't getting the recognition he thought he deserved in Chicago. But, I mean, that's just clearly speculation on my part. I, I have no idea, but that's just how it seemed to me. Uh, I mean, it's certainly a gray area. We probably will never know the the real story behind it, if Horace did tip off the uh, author of that book or not. But, um, you know, Michael is definitely full of himself and can sometimes, and obviously has a lot of power in what he says, and it can be magnified greatly. So um, definitely questionable move there by Michael as well as Horace getting on the uh, radio station there. Definitely. And I think someone else who was a little upset with the doc was our guy, Scotty Pippen, who it seemed like time and time again was just getting like absolutely crushed in the dock, whether like he wasn't going in for that late fourth quarter inbounds play or like faking the injury to like have a fun summer or whatever. I don't know. It just seemed like uh, he was getting sh- like there's a bad light being shined on him throughout the whole dock. Yeah, no doubt Pippen got the short end of the stick, Um, you know, whether it was talking about his contract situation over in uh, Chicago or, uh, you know, how soft he was. I mean, they they just, uh, you know, kept on throwing him the punches and unfortunately he had to roll with them. Bro, and they sh- like I hate to say it, but when they showed him like hurting his back and like running down the court, man's looked like he was like eighty five year old at the local YMCA, bro. <laughs> like, he looked like Brett Favre was- after he came back from his third retirement out there with the walking cane. Dude, like the way he was grabbing like the back with his hands, like looked like he he's a father of five at the at the local gym playing with the playing with the college kids <laughs> yeah he was walking around with his walking cane like mike westoff exactly dude but uh yeah i think he does have kind of a right to be a little bit upset i mean obviously he's like a hall of fame player and one of the top defenders and players of all time so i think not really like uh scotty pippen didn't really get a fair shake in the whole uh documentary in my in my opinion yeah i agree he, he definitely got uh 
bamboozled, but, um, <laughs> you know, you can't really do much about it. He wasn't that involved in the docu- documentary. And, uh, he, I mean, obviously he was involved as he was um, portrayed and talked about, but he wasn't really uh, – had to do with the editing and production part of it. So they kind of could portray him in any right way they really wanted to, but hate to see it. Yeah. I think honestly, uh, it was getting so bad. I thought they were actually going to bring up future in the documentary, the way they were, uh, absolutely crushing Scotty Pippen. <laughs> <laughs> in what regard? Uh, I think allegedly future, uh, made some moves with Scotty Pippen's ex-wife Larsa Pippen, and uh, led to the demise of their marriage. So, oh, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah, it's a tough look for for Scotty, but yeah, Scotty's getting uh, shafted on both ends of the stick there. But what are yeah. you gonna do? Exactly. So before we head into this, uh, Colin Gillespie. Gillespie interview, who is an absolute beauty, by the way. I actually just got an update on my phone that me and Jeremy's New York Jets have just signed former Denver Broncos quarterback as well as Baltimore Ravens quarterback Joe Flacco to a a one-year $4.5 million deal. What a weird way to intro that. Like He was like (laughs) big on the Broncos and like – Barely played for the Ravens. Uh, yeah, I mean, what do you think about it? I mean, I guess I can't really be too upset with this move there. Um, you know, always good to have a veteran uh, over there uh, backing up a younger guy and Sam Darnold. Um, you know, they definitely needed someone in case Sammy has a similar season to last year, which I'm praying that he doesn't. Uh, that he had mono as well as I think he's, he's had some – foot injuries as well as a finger injury in the past with his thumb, but always good to bring in a vet, uh, even though they just drafted the kid out of FIU, I believe, James Morgan. Yeah, I think it's always good to have another uh, veteran in the room, kind of like bestow some knowledge onto the younger guys. Honestly, Joe Flacco kind of gives me like Adam Gase vibes and his like personality and how he like doesn't really give a fuck about like what anyone thinks, which is kind of Adam Gase's thing, I feel like. But like you said, if you don't want to run into a situation where your quarterback gets a mono and is out for four games, so you want some kind of security blanket in that regard. So I'm not I'm, I'm not upset with it. I think it's probably a good signing in the, at the end of the day. Yeah, no doubt. And, I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure Joe is pretty familiar with Gase's offense as they work together over in Denver. So the move makes sense um, and hopefully will aid Sam Darnold's development there. For sure. So now we will get into our interview with Colin Gillespie, the Villanova Wildcats guard. Thank you very much to Keen Oller for the connection. I hope you guys enjoy. I just flipped the switch. All right, today on the pod, we have star guard for the Villanova Wildcats, Colin Gillespie. Colin, welcome to Chalk Talk. Thanks for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. So to get right into things, you were uh, first team All Big Five honors. Uh, First of all, congratulations. How did that feel this season? Thanks for that. Um, I mean, it was a good honor for me uh, last year. I think I was second team playing with two, two of our seniors, Eric and Phil. Um, so it was good this year is just being a leader on our team, trying to 
uh, just lead the way and, and kind of pave the, pave the path in the right direction. So obviously the uh, coronavirus kind of affected your season there and, um, you know, definitely didn't allow the tournament to happen. So realistically, how far do you think that the, this year's Villanova team could have made it in this year's tournament? Honestly, I think we were a second round team or further or a second weekend team or further. Um, I think college basketball was a little weird this year. There was not one dominant team throughout the rest of the, like throughout the whole season. Um, it was kind of up and down. There was uh, a lot of one seeds that ended up losing at some point in the season. Um, teams in the top 25 that were in and out. So I think it was, it was really up in the air for anyone. I think it would have been one of the crazier NCAA tournaments for sure. Because like I said, there was no dominant team, but I think we had a really good chance. I think we were starting to click and gel at the right time at towards the end of the season. But I mean, it's this is bigger than basketball, uh, so I mean, it's, it's frustrating that it happened. But um, I mean, we're just going to try and come back next year and try to do have a special season. For sure, it, it definitely is what it is, and um, a lot of my other friends unfortunately had their seasons cut short who are in the uh, NCAA circuit there, but. Um, you know, obviously the tournament, you never know who can get hot and who can get, uh, you know, axed early, as many teams have in the past. Many Duke teams who have been one or two seeds um, have been gone early. So you really never know, um, you know, what would happen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's happened to a few Nova teams as well. Um, in the second round, I mean, being a two seed um, and expecting to go far, and then uh, having your season cut a little short in the second week or second round, it's difficult. But I mean, that's just the, the NCAA tournament. That's the beauty of it. Um, I mean, any team can win any game. It's win or go home. So if you uh, get hot at the right time, that's that's probably the best thing for your team. Definitely. And then looking forward to next season. What are you guys really doing now to like prepare? Are you you Zoom calling with the team, or how's that working? Yeah, we uh, have a Zoom call once a week with our team. Um, obviously, me and my teammates, we have group chats, Snapchat group chats. So we're talking every day. Uh, but our coaches get us once a week on Zoom, kind of go over, like, what's happening, if there's any improvements or anything that where we can get on campus, get guys back to school to start working out. Um, right now it's difficult because nothing's changed, but – um, they're still just keeping us updated on when we can get back and if we can before uh, the fall semester will start because we're usually there in the summer for June and July for both sessions, being able to work out, get extra courses done. Um, but right now they're just keeping us updated, our team staying in contact, and then we have guys who are able to get in some gyms and keep working out and trying to maintain that uh, high level of fitness and uh, staying in shape. So how are you as an individual kind of getting better and just making sure you're staying in shape, whether it's your shot, you know, running sprints? Um, I had actually seen a video, I think, by a local news station that said you were getting into your middle school or high school gym, possibly. Um, that actually surprised me a bit. I don't think my middle school or high school gym would actually let me in nowadays, but I'm sure there are ex exceptions for Colin Gillespie. I mean, yeah, I, I know a few people that have – um a gym they're allowing me to get in uh just for a couple hours i'll work out with my high school coach 
Um, and one of my other high school team, two of my other high school teammates that I'm close with, um, we're able to just get in for two hours, get a bunch of shots up, um, try to maintain a, a little bit of distance while we're in there um, as best we can. But I mean, I have a little weight room in my basement where I'm allowed to be down there where I can like get like lifting in and stuff like that and keep my body in shape. And then I have a treadmill I have outside that I can run in terms of my body. But basketball wise, I'm, I'm kind of good. I'm set with a gym and I'm able to get back in there and just stay at work, shooting, dribbling, all that stuff. Awesome. And then you mentioned coaching before, obviously uh, Jay Wright, very famous coach. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what he's like maybe behind the scenes, what, what people wouldn't expect about him, and then maybe how he's a little different than other coaches you've had uh, in the past? Um, for Coach Wright, I mean, he's one. Of, he's up there. He's a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, he's one of the best coaches I've ever had. Uh, I learn a lot from him every day, not just basketball-wise, but in life. I think that's one of the biggest things that's different about him is he's not just coaching you in basketball. He's coaching you in life too. He's uh, teaching you his life lessons, trying to help you and uh, help you grow as a person and a player both uh, on and off the court. So I think that's something that's really special about him. Um, He might seem crazy to a bunch of people on TV. You might see him yelling a lot, but um, off the court, he's like real laid back. He's chill. He's easy to have a conversation with. So, um, I think it's just if you get close and you get to know him, you probably see a different side of him. So going back to your final high school career and you enter your senior season over at Archbishop Wood, which is in the Philly area, I believe, mm-hmm. and you go in with zero offers but end up picking up the Ryder, the Hofstra, and the Villanova offers. What do you think um, got those teams on your radar? I mean, my junior summer, I was playing AAU, and I ended up getting hurt, so I didn't have a crucial part of the summer. It was a live period where coaches could come out and see you because I was injured. I ended up hurting my knee for about two or three weeks during that live period. Um, And then I ended up going into my senior year, my first two offers. I had a bunch of Division II offers, and then my first two Division I offers were Maine and Albany which I started with, they were a little further than I wanted because I wanted to stay close to home. Um, And then I got Hofstra and Ryder, which were a little bit closer. And then there was a bunch of CAA schools and then kind of local schools started to talk to me, St. Joe's, Temple, Drexel, LaSalle, Delaware, those schools. And I was kind of on their radar. And then once Villanova came in, um, I was able to go visit uh, another kid that I played with in my league was actually committed there. So I had some familiarity with the school and with the program. And then once I visited, it kind of felt like family. I love the culture. It was close to home. My parents and family could come see me whenever they want and watch me play. So um, that was like kind of my whole main point of wanting to stay close to home so they can come see me and I could see them whenever. And uh, I felt like the fit was really right. So I just decided on Villanova and kind of got the process over with. So do you think that the game um, in which you scored the 40-burger um, over Newman Garetti uh, against highly touted Kentucky recruit Quade Green, kind of like was that threshold there? I mean, at that point, I already had I had already had the offer and I was committed, but – 
prior to that, I played against the first time Coach Wright came and saw me. I didn't really play that well. Um, and I was like a little pissed at myself because that was the first time he saw me play. And I was like, I don't know if I just messed something up here or not. But um, the next time he came and saw me was actually in that Newman Gretty game. And I had uh, went and uh, accepted the offer a few weeks before. So then I came back and um, I feel like after I accepted the offer, I was kind of playing a little bit more free and not really worrying about stuff. So um, I think it was a little bit easier just to, just to play and be free out there, not kind of worrying about schools that were watching me. And then you come into Villanova freshman year and go on an amazing run and beat Michigan in the chip. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about that? That's, that's a pretty cool uh, story, just like kind of pop in and, and win it all. Yeah, I mean, that was special being a freshman, kind of just going in, playing with seven other NBA players. Um, and you're the eighth guy on that team, and you're just kind of, like, watching them. Um, going in, though, I wasn't really – I was supposed to redshirt going into college because I was 17 when I went in. So I'm younger for my age. Um, and I was 17, and he told me that – Coach Wright told me that I was going to redshirt. I ended up playing pretty well in the summer. I was playing about 15 minutes and I ended up breaking my hand in the middle of my freshman year, sat out for like nine or 10 games, decided that I wasn't going to red shirt, take a medical red shirt. And I was going to play the rest of the season, just rehab. And I ended up coming back and um, being a part of that run was kind of special because I've watched it like my entire life watching them. You grew up watching that stuff and dream about being in it. And I was finally in it. Um, and then, I mean, once we, once we won our second round game, I kind of just was like, I don't think anybody else is going to beat us because the guys that we had, we had the national player of the year. Um, and then we had six other guys who were, they're all in the NBA now. So, um, and we were beating teams pretty easily, pretty handily by like 10, over 10 points. Um, but it was cool to be a part of, learn from those guys um, and actually get experience to be in it. So you had mentioned that you had the National Player of the Year on your team there. Can you tell us kind of a little bit about that mentorship process of the AP Naismith Player of the Year in Jalen Brunson, as well as Dante DiVincenzo, who's with the Bucks now, I believe, and Mikhail Bridges? Yeah, all those guys were, were crucial to my development and just mentoring me. Jalen especially, I was uh, roommates with him my freshman summer, and then I was road roommates with him. Uh, my freshman year so he kind of just took me under his wing Um, I was able to watch him the way he prepared for games what he ate the food that he ate um, how much extra time he was putting in the gym and I was really close with Dante too um, in terms of he was always somebody that I could go talk to if I had a problem with anything Um, and he also was somebody that I kind of just watched and uh, watched how he prepared how much extra time he put in and Mikhail was like, uh, they're all like my older brothers now. Um, all guys that I still talk to. I talk to Jalen after every game. I talked to Dante last week, Jalen this week, uh, Mikhail this week. I talk to them all the time still. And does getting to the chip your freshman year kind of motivate you to like lead your team to get back now that you're the upperclassman? Yeah, definitely. That's always something that I kind of wanted to, to do, uh, something I talk about with one of our uh, people at Nova, um, being a freshman, like 
I was the eighth man. Those guys were the leaders. They took us to the national championship and kind of carried us. Um, and now being a senior, I think that's kind of my role, my turn, like type of thing where I want to be able to lead my team to a national championship and win championships as a, a senior leader. So at your time at Nova, you played against some pretty um, legitimate players. Uh, who do you think is the toughest player you've played against or with? The toughest player that I've ever had to guard or play with was Jalen, for sure, like by, by a lot. Um, and then the toughest player I played against was Carson Edwards. Why do you say Jalen? Because he's just so technical and with it with his fundamentals. What is it? It's just his fundamentals. He's stronger than he looks. Um, he uses his body really well to create space and get shots off for his size. Um, and then he could score at all three levels. He plays out of the post really well. Um, he's, he could shoot the three, and he could shoot the mid-range shot too. Um, but I think I learned a lot from him too from playing. We would play one-on-one a lot, and I would lose a lot, but I think I learned a lot too. Um, and I think it's also when he comes back now, it's easier to guard him because I kind of know what he likes to do. So Villanova is a pretty highly respectable school in terms of the academics. Um, and I, from what I remember, I don't see too much jawing on the court. Do you guys jaw at all during practice at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, in practice it gets heated. It's really competitive because you have 10 guys that are just highly competitive Division One athletes. So um, freshman year, was there were some crazy practices because we had – seven NBA players on our team. Um, and then we had the three freshmen, myself, Jermaine, and Dada at the time. So we were kind of looking at it, and we were, like, a little bit shocked that we were going in there. We were playing against guys like that. But definitely in practice, it gets really heated. Guys want to win. And then during the games, it's, like, fun because you're playing against somebody on another team and you're not playing against your teammates now. And, like, you guys are doing it together. Um and I think the whole thing at, like, Villanova, you guys won't really see – nobody will really see us talking a lot of, like, junk because our whole – the one term that they always say is 94 by 50 feet, just, like, lock into each other and don't, like, play for the crowd. And I think that's one thing, like, once we're on the court and we're in, in between those lines, we're just focused on each other. Um, but here and there, like you'll, like, you'll see or hear one of us say something to another team. Definitely. And then do you think it takes a, a special type of person to play at a place like Nova, like considering what Spencer said with the academics and athletics too? Yeah, definitely. You have to be really dedicated and committed. Um, it's hard because you have to balance your schoolwork at a highly academic school. And then, um, I mean, they're one of the best basketball programs in the country. So um, it's difficult at times to balance both, but I mean, that's what you sign up for. That's uh, what you're going in there to do. You want to play at the highest level. That's the school that'll. That's a school that'll get you there. Um, so I mean, it's all commitment. If you if you have the right mindset going into it, and you know that you want to play at the highest level, you got to do everything that they say, and and know the chances of you getting there are high. So just to go back to my previous question for a second, and to talk about the the jawing on the court a little bit. Has there ever been a guy that's kind of really been able to get in your head and kind of throw you off mentally, whether it was someone at Nova or someone in high school or another person you played against in college? 
so like I in practice I would get frustrated a lot with Jalen because he would hit tough shots and he would never say anything um like ever Phil Booth was another guy um that like he would score a lot in practice and like he would make a tough shot and like he would make sure the coaches wouldn't hear it but he would let you know that he hit a tough shot um so those two guys Eric Pascal is also the same way where he would do something super crazy hit a tough shot like dunk on you or something like that he would scream the coaches wouldn't say anything because that was just natural for him um but then like he would like let you hear about like whisper something like into your ear like as he was walking back to his huddle or something like that yeah you seem like a pretty calm and composed guy so I don't see too many people throwing you off (laughs) no not not really I kind of don't like people get to me uh, if something happens to me, I'll try to get you back, like, on the court. And then uh, looking forward to a possible NBA career, um, who do you try and model your game after in, in the league? Hmm. I get this question a lot. I mean, I watched – I don't know if it's trying to, like, model my game after him, but, like, I'll take bits and pieces from uh, – like, I used to watch Steve Nash. A lot. I love Steve Nash's game. Um I like Chris Paul and the way that he plays, Kyrie Irving, Devin Booker. I think those guys are, like, kind of guys that I admire their game a lot. I don't, I don't really play like them, um, but I definitely like watching their game and try to take bits and pieces of, like, what they do. Yeah, I don't know if you get this at all, but I definitely see a little bit of Dante DiVincenzo in your game. Yeah. Um, I hate to make Nova comparison, but I'm just being blunt here. I'll take Dante's comparison – Cause I, you know, I get Arch all the time. I get Ryan Arch all the time. So I'll Bulls legends, Bulls legends. Yeah, definitely, they're both legends. But I'll take, I'll take the Dante comparison. So we just want to give a little shout out to Keenan Allward here for linking us with Colin Gillespie here. Keenan and Colin are good friends over at uh, Villanova and have can be seen having good times at the Tri-Delt cocktail parties, believe it or not. So if anyone is in the Villanova community, be sure to make it over to the Tri-Delt cocktail parties and you'll be able to see Colin Gillespie. I'm only there a few times. I mean, out of the year, try to keep my face low. Only for the pictures, though. For the gram. For the gram. Only for the pictures. I don't really go to the cocktails. (laughs) Of course not. Of course not. Can't. So before we wrap it up here, we like to do a little quick questions round that we have coined the Chalk Talk Walk. Um, And I think we'll get started right away. Um, Sam's Club or Walmart? What was the first one? Sam's Club. I have no idea what that is. All right. I thought, is that not like a Philly uh, big-ass department store or something? No? No. I mean, I don't know. But I, I would do Walmart, though. Walmart's good for me. Walmart. <laughs> Who's the better Philly icon, Meek Mill or Will uh, Smith, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air? Meek. Uh, favorite sneaker to hoop in? Kyrie's. Ones, twos, threes. I love the fives. I also love Kobe. I don't know what. I don't know what Kobe it is. I like to play in a lot of Kobe's, but I like. I love the Kyrie fives. I just sold a pair of Kobe 4s today. Sad to see him go. Nice job. Those are a great shoe. Uh, QB of the future, Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts? Carson Wentz. 
I mean, both of them, honestly, they're both Eagles now. I don't really care as long as we win. Fly, Eagles, fly, baby. Yes, sir. When, when relating to basketball, what do you prefer, cookies or water? Uh, I'd probably say cookies more. And last but not least, favorite cheesesteak spot, Pat's or Gino's or alternate? D'Alessandro's. Oh. Pass and Gino's is like uh what's it called? Those are like the the general ones that everyone always says. If you're like a real Philly person, you'll know that it's either Delisandros or like Ishkabibbles on South Street. Respect, respect. Yeah, and you know you go cheese whiz? Cheese whiz obviously, yeah. No. American without Damn Spence, oh for two, dude. Jeez. American without. <laughs> I thought cheese whiz was the standard over there. Nah. I mean, there's a place around the corner from me called Steve's, too, that makes great cheesesteaks, but I always got to go American without. Are you in the city of Philly? Where are you about? I'm, like, right on the border. I used to live in the city of Philadelphia, and then I moved going into high school, like, two minutes away. It's like, there's kind of like a street that divides the city and the suburbs, but I'm on, like, the suburb side of it now in Huntington Valley. Yeah, so you're nowhere near Imhotep Charter, are you? 20 minutes away. Okay, not far. All right. What do you know about Imhotep? Uh, let's just say I was in a little football camp and I got into some beef with an Imhotep kid. Well, we, that's another story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of Imhotep kids. I played against a lot of them. Okay, got football it. Basketball. Can, can they compete with Archbishop Wood or are they uh... – Football? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, they've gotten a lot better at basketball and football too, as well. Football, no their football team was really good a few years ago. For sure, for sure. So I think that's going to about do it for our interview with Colin Gillespie. Colin, if you have anything else to say to the fans out there, um, any some words of encouragement during this dark time of quarantine, you know, we try to stay up for sure. Um, yeah. Go right ahead. I mean, just try to keep yourself as busy as you can. Um, I think one thing that I'm doing now is just trying to spend as much time with my family as I can uh, and then staying busy because, I mean, during my regular routine and probably your guys too being in college, it's probably harder to see our families and um, get some time off. So um, just stay busy as much as you can. Um, spend time with your family. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want now while you can. Something that you didn't want it that you always wanted to do that you can do now. I think that's probably something I would say. No doubt. We appreciate sure. that, Con. Uh, we want to appreciate you also for coming on to the pod. And best of luck this season. We'll be cheering you on. Keep working, brother. Thanks, Thanks man, for having me. It's fun. No doubt. See ya. Peace, man. All right, fellas. I just flipped the switch. All right, so that was our interview with Colin Gillespie. I hope you enjoyed it. We're going to switch over sports a little bit and talk about some NFL news, starting with Dak Prescott, who has been all over the headlines recently. Apparently, he was offered a five-year, $175 million deal, which would be 35 mil per year, uh, by the Cowboys and Jerry Jones. This was reported by Chris Sims, so take that with a grain of salt as he – has been known to be a little questionable in his reporting. And lastly, Dak is uh, looking for apparently over $45 million a year, which is absurd numbers and would obviously 
reset the QB market. What do you think about all this, Spence? I mean, I, I don't like this move at all here. Um, I don't think – I think that was a false report there in the numbers that Dak wanted. And it was even reported that I think he wanted more money that was originally reported. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was definitely north of way too much. Um, I've expressed my opinion on Dak multiple times on previous podcasts. Um, you know, he's a solid quarterback, probably a little bit above average, but I don't really see him taking that Dallas offense to the next step in terms of making it run to the playoffs and to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, he ended out with, uh, I guess, an 8-8 eight and eight record this past year with arguably the best offensive line in the league. Ezekiel Elliott, a top five back in the league. Amari Cooper, who is a very formidable wide receiver. And, um, you know, while he will start off the season as the starter, um, I could see them transitioning over to Andy Dalton very quickly. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that Dallas offense uh, works out with the addition of CeeDee Lamb. Right, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of a crazy take, but uh, as terms, as far as the numbers go, I think this is honestly just uh, uh, like a smokescreen or fake reporting by Chris Sims trying to get into the headlines a little bit. I think he sensed a lull in some sports news and figured he could kind of get his name out there. It wouldn't be a crazy offer from the Cowboys for the $35 million a year, I think that's probably about where he sits as, as far as the QB market goes. But I do not think he's asking for over $45 million a year. I think that was a lie. What I saw on ESPN and what I think is true is it could be a, a, a year situation where he wants four years and the Cowboys want to give him five because, as we've seen, the salary cap has been known to kind of shoot up as football and other sports start like have been getting more notoriety and more money into it. For sure. For sure. Can you go into that a little more in depth? Well, I think, I mean, I'm not a, an economist, but I, you can just see, I mean, the salary cap has, has risen. Contracts have gotten more lucrative as time has gone on. I mean, back in the day, like what, maybe 20 years ago, like a, five million dollar contract is like groundbreaking news and now we're looking at qbs getting like over 20 25 million dollars a year so i think dak is looking to the future a little bit and trying to re-up he's only 26 i believe still in his prime he's trying to re-up and have another big time contract before he retires yeah i mean This year will certainly be Dak's year. I don't think he'll get the extension until after this season. If he does get one over in Dallas, I think it's probably a smart move. And I think Jerry Jones realizes that and that he needs to see him play under the franchise tag for one year and then reassess after this season. I don't see them uh, extending him long term, but this year they'll really have to break him loose and hopefully he can uh, adjust to the nuances of Mike McCarthy's offenses offense rather quickly. Although it will be hard with obviously the coronavirus pandemic um, kind of delaying off season uh, activities, but um, this is the year for Dak if he uh, really wants that money and if he uh, wants to establish a presence over in Dallas for the future. Yeah, I mean, the only problem with that uh, kind of route, if that's what Jerry Jones wants to do, is say Dak does have a career year 
and maybe leads the Cowboys to the NFC Championship, the bill that he will now have is only getting higher, and Jerry will have to cough up some more dough looking forward, or they'll have to release him. So it's kind of a lose-lose as far as the Cowboys go and restart their whole QB search. I mean, we certainly know that the uh, the dough is no prong for Jerry Jones and doling it out. Just a matter if he uh, thinks it's a reasonable get in that regard. Yeah, I guess I guess this year is a big big one. But I I would not be surprised if Dak actually does get the extension before the July fifteenth franchise tag deadline. So to stay in some NFL news, there has been some uh, news swirling around uh, Pittsburgh Steelers owner and the Art Rooney rule that, uh, you know, has some uh, specifications on the coaches and how uh, teams can interview, interview coaches. So there was a rule enacted that Uh, Teams will now be required to interview at least two candidates from outside of their organization for any vacant head coaching job and at least one minority candidate from outside the organization. Um, This is interesting, no doubt. Um, I definitely can understand. That's been in effect for a little bit now, right? Uh, I think... um, How long? When was that initially enacted? I think a few years ago, five years ago. I mean, whether it wasn't active five years ago or today, it's still a, uh, I mean, cause for concern a little bit. I mean, all I can understand that they want to uh, diversify the uh, front offices as well as the coaches in the NFL. I don't think that's really the right way to do it. Might as well just see it happen, uh, you know, uh, authentically as opposed to it being forced. Yeah, so the Rooney, just for a little background, the Rooney rule was established in 2003 as a way to try and get minority coaches, like more interviews as far as getting coaching jobs. And now recently, there's been news that uh, teams will get up to a third round pick possibly if they do in fact hire a minority coach as a way to incentivize the teams by hiring these coaches. And there's kind of been a lot of uh, debate about will this work? How, like, is it really fair? And obviously, it's a very delicate topic. But I think, in my eyes, there does need to be something done as a way to get minority coaching jobs in the NFL. And I don't think the Rooney Rule was actually working because teams were doing these interviews more as like an obligation to the rule rather than actually looking to hire these coaches. Yeah. And there is certainly an uproar in current and former NFL minority coaches. Um, Marvin Lewis expressed his opinion um, as he had said, it was offensive, definitely offensive in in regard to uh, having it, seemed like it was like a Jim Crow law is what he compared it to. Tony Dungy as well was disgruntled by it. As he said, he's been in favor of rewarding people for doing the right thing. And uh, he does not see this as being that. As well as Chargers coach Anthony Lynn, formerly of the uh, New York Jets, says that sometimes you can do the right thing while trying to do – sometimes you can do the wrong thing while trying to do the right thing. 
Yeah, it's just like a really tough topic, honestly, because like I honestly appreciate the NFL trying to be proactive about it. But like and me and my friends were talking about this a little bit, like what is the right way to try to get more minority coaches into jobs? Because I think it is a legitimate problem in the NFL where I think it's just like very uh, – I don't know the right word, but like teams like pass it down t- through like generations. And it's a lot like who, you know, and like where you've coached and it doesn't really allow these coaches to like rise through the ranks as easily as one might hope. For sure. And, you know, you want uh, the process, especially getting an interview to just go nonchalantly and not because they're just a minority coach. You want more because of their previous experiences coaching together, um, them thinking that they have a bright mind of the game. They're able to evaluate talent well. They're able to get through to their players at a uh, um, great success in terms of the knowledge of the game or whatever it may be. You don't want it to be, um, you know, just uh, another check check the box uh, type of thing there. Right, like you look at a guy like Eric Bieniemy from the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, you have to wonder how he has not secured a head coaching job. I, you look at some of these other guys who have way less impressive of a resume, who are white, who are getting head coaching jobs, and it just kind of, for me at least, like puts up a red flag as to what's going on there. And you got to like, I mean, you have to think race might play a part in that, to be honest. Could be, could be. Hard, hard to say, though, um, from the outside looking in, especially not being inside of the NFL GMs and owners. But I think Benimi definitely has a head coaching gig uh, sometime in his future very soon, very, very soon, if not next year. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I just think it's a little weird that he doesn't have one already with like guys like Zach Taylor getting ones, just being QB coaches, you know, but – my opinion yeah to move into some other news this sunday we're getting a taste of sports as there will be a golf i guess tournament with tom brady and phil mickelson teaming up against peyton manning and tiger woods in a little showdown should be exciting should uh definitely get some sunday vibes up uh what do you think about that spence Oh, uh, you know, while I'm not the biggest golf fan, um, while I am trying to get into it a little bit after just uh, getting back from some shoulder surgery here, um, you know, it's it's great cause. Obviously, you know, I'm pretty sure that the funds for the uh, uh, the match will be going to, uh, you know, coronavirus, uh, whatever that may be. Um, you know, PPE equipment, uh, food for our healthcare workers. Um, so, God, I love something like this uh, happening here. It'll be uh, you know, a nice change of pace to have a little bit of uh, sports content in our lives, which I'll probably tune into because I really got nothing better to do. Um, so, overall, great cause here. Love that they are taking the initiative to do something like this. Yeah, I agree with you on all, on all aspects of that. And I think I'm ha- going to have to go for uh, the Peyton and Tiger crew over Tom and Phil. Never have really been a huge Phil Mickelson fan. I feel like he kind of, I don't know, is like a little like overrated. I mean, I'm not a huge golf fan, but like just from the outside looking in, I get like a Phil Mickelson's overrated and hasn't really done anything in a while type uh, vibe from him. So I think, I mean, if Tiger's 
body holds up should be should be a should be a good match that's an interesting take there you have jeremy i'm actually going to take the contrary here and take unfortunately the goat in tom brady but i am actually a big phil mickelson guy i mean we already know the clutchness that tom brady has um when it comes to uh on the green and on the fields of uh, sports. But Mickelson, I have a very vivid memory of hitting a ball into a uh, wood chip pit that was surrounded by a bunch of uh, oak trees. And Phil was able to maneuver a shot um, within the wood chips while he was standing on the opposite side of the tree as the ball was and hooked it around the tree and actually uh, hit it onto the green there. So I'm sure a lot of you golf fans uh, remember that one, as do I. And I'm going to take the Southpaw Phil and Goat Brady in this matchup. Unfortunately, I think uh, Phil Mickelson is known more for his Enbrel arthritis commercials more than his, uh, his play. I think if you have rheumatoid arthritis, you'll probably be rooting for Phil here as he is the face of that pharmaceutical company. But uh, as far as actual golf play goes, we're not talking pharmaceuticals. We're talking getting it in the hole, and Tiger is the goat in that aspect. So that's all I have to say about that. Very, very interesting insight by Jerome J. Barr. Thank you for that one. Yes, you're welcome. So to uh, segue um, into Brady a little more, um, you know, the as we had mentioned before, previously before the Gillespie interview, the um, documentary uh, nine-part series will be releasing sometime next year about Tom Brady. Um, I thought I was getting away from the Patriots slander and, um, you know, media obsessiveness with the New England Patriots, but I guess we just can't get away for it, and we're in store for some more coming very soon uh, in the Man in the Arena doc releasing sometime next year. Yeah, I think uh, Brady has been waiting for this moment, and the Michael Jordan success that he got on his documentary uh, really incentivized him to kind of get his moving. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see how it is. I'll, I'll definitely watch because, you know, I'm a football fan, but it's going to be tough watching those uh, Patriots teams, you know, dominate that that uh, long period of time. Hopefully they put in the 2010 playoff game against the Jets just not to, you know, skip over that. <laughs> yeah, can't forget about that one. I can't wait for that. <laughs> You know, him tossing that great screen pass into David David Harris's mitts. Yeah. They would be remiss to to leave that one out of the dock. Dancing in the end zone after he fell asleep with Rex Ryan. Oof. Oof. Yeah. That gets so the as long as, pumping. As long as that's in the dock, then uh then I'll give it a thumbs up. No doubt. And then in like I guess gone more in football news, um the fourth and fifteen proposal instead of an onside kick. I know Patrick Mahomes has been very, uh, I guess, loud about his, that he would want this. Um, Spence, you want to explain this a little further for people who might be confused about the kick? Sure, sure. So I'm, I'm not uh, 100% uh, certain on the clarity of this rule, but something along the lines of 
you know, instead of a team electing to take an onside kick after a score, whether that be a field goal or a touchdown and point after attempt, they'll be able to go for a fourth and 15 type play style. And if they convert, it looks like they're going to be able to continue with that drive and, uh, you know, go on to uh, try and score some more points there in an effort to, uh, whether it's catch up or go on a game-winning drive against their opponents. Yeah, I think this is pretty cool. And I think part of the reason for this is because the onside kick rule changes in previous years that are trying to eliminate the, like, the big hits for receiving an onside kick, and there's a bunch of rules changes. And I want to say last year the percentage of recovery on onside kicks was like less than 5% or something in that uh, area. So I, I think that took away the excitement of possibly getting the ball back, and this would be a cool way to kind of get that excitement back into the game. Yeah, definitely cr- very creative here by uh, Roger Goodell in the NFL League office to um, try and do something like this. Um, you know, while there's obviously concern over some of the onside kick plays where you see lots of big-time collisions happen, um, could be interesting to see these fourth and 15 scenarios. I'll tell you, it is bad news for guys like Atlanta Falcons kicker Young Ho Koo, who is the onside kick specialist over there in Atlanta. So, shout out Ridgewood, New Jersey. Shout out Ridgewood, New Jersey. Hell yeah, I love the Burn County guys. Um, yep. But Young Ho Koo just got paid this big sum of money that I'm sure the Atlanta Falcons would not be too happy about if the this rule is changed um that matter yeah yeah i mean it's still not voted on so we gotta see it could be one of those things where uh you know it's like gets all this hype and then doesn't eventually get voted into action no, no, no doubt they're looking for any headlines nowadays to keep the nfl rel- relevant in terms of the media as well as the nfl league office league as a whole Um, But in other NFL news out of New Orleans, uh, the owners, the Bensons, as well as uh, the Saints have announced that they'll be looking for a new naming rights sponsor for their stadium. They'll be ditching the Mercedes-Benz sponsor of the Superdome uh, after the 2020-2021 season. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, who will try and – capitalize on this opportunity here of which of course is a big marketing uh scheme i mean every nfl game their uh name will get announced it's it's on the uh stadium walls and in big big letters so it's, it's it'll be everywhere it'll be interesting to see any thoughts on that Jerry? yeah yeah definitely a big uh, marketing opportunity for some uh company i think mercedes-benz not positive on this also has the Atlanta Falcons new stadium. I'm not sure about that, but I'm pretty positive. So I don't think they want to have naming rights of two stadiums. I'm sure that could get pretty pricey. So they're dropping new Orleans. Um, I mean, that's a popular stadium. The Superdome is awesome. Everyone loves playing in it. I guess the saints love playing it. Not everyone loves playing it because it gets super loud, but I guess we'll see. I mean, I have no idea what company will, jump on this opportunity but it should be a pretty big big move for them yeah this will this will be interesting to see here because obviously you need a big name that can pay for the uh, grand sum of that uh, naming rights deal so i mean 
You got to think it's going to be something New Orleans, Louisiana related. I mean, I guess you really never know. Mercedes-Benz is a German automaker, so kind of really has no connection to the New Orleans area at all. But I think it would, it's a good opportunity for them to do something creative. Maybe, you know, like uh, um, uh, I don't know, like a Bassmasters Pro Shop Stadium. <laughs> Of some sorts. I know that the those guys in Louisiana love to do some fishing in those swamps there. Um, yeah, maybe. you're definitely you're more attuned to the Louisiana culture than me. I'm not really sure. I was thinking like maybe Amazon hops on, gets <laughs> in on it. I mean, I have no idea. Maybe the uh, big companies. Swamp Hunters Stadium there. <laughs> you never really know with these uh, Louisianans. So. Um, they'll, they'll love to keep us guessing and I'm definitely excited to see uh, what will be the new name for the Superdome down in uh, New Orleans. Definitely. And then some upsetting news for us uh, Jets fans as Jamal Adams again is in the news and you know he's become a big topic in the sporting sports world and the NFL world as, you know, he wants to trade the jets don't want to resign him. And then they do. And then there's this, and then there's that seems like a, we're in the movie groundhog day with the way Jamal Adams contract is working out. I'm getting a little sick of the headlines and the news and just wish it would just go away for the time being. I mean, he has three more years on this contract. This really is a bunch of nonsense in my, in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt been a lot of back and forth between Jamal, the Jets, the media intertwined in between, which is definitely not great to see. I was enlightened to see that, uh, you know, there was no Jamal Adams banter on Twitter or Instagram, which was a great sign as he's uh, learned to control his um, inner instincts and desires. But, I mean, at this point, it's just a game, um, you know, if, if it is true that they are – or if that, if that report is true and they uh, had released that to media, I see that just as a negotiating tactic to try and get uh, Jamal to fold and um, kind of take the best offer that he has been uh, given by, uh, you know, Joe Douglas and co. But, you know, the New York media loves to twist and turn things as well, um, as Manish Mehta does quite often for the New York Jets. Um, so, um, either way, I, I see Jamal coming back to New York and um, he'll, he'll get paid that fat sum, whether, uh, you know, the, the New York media likes it or not, because I know I will. I mean, yeah, you got to wonder who is actually leaking this news. It could be at, like Jamal's camp leaking the news and saying he wants a trade. You, you just never know at these situations. I'm getting tired of it. I don't think he's going to get a big contract this year. I mean, she's just not due for it. It's his, what, third year in the league? Fourth. Still has, like, going on to his fourth, right? Yeah. Going on to his fourth. So he has two more years under this contract, plus a possible franchise tag. Um, so I think he just kind of has to. Fourth plus, oh, yeah, fourth plus the fifth-year option and then possible franchise tag. So Yeah, so he has – I mean, he has years to go, and it, the like the ball is completely in the Jets' court here. And like, as much as he thinks he might have leverage, unfortunately for him, there's just not a lot of leverage in the Jamal camp. I mean, they can leak these stories as much as they want, but at the end of the day, he's under contract, so either he shows up or he gets fined for not showing up. So, 
I'm not super worried about it. Yeah, no doubt. I could go both ways. I mean, like Jar said, Jamal's camp could be leaking. Jets' camp could be leaking it. Um, you know, the Jets obviously have the leverage here, as Jar said. So I don't really see any movement on the Jamal front anytime soon. So in in uh, other NFL news, before we wrap up here, um, the NFL has agreed to raise their debt limits for each team by $150 million from $350 to $500 million, as it was reported by ESPN. Um, you know, teams will lose near an average of a hundred of nearly $140 million from ticker revenues if the season is played without fans this year, uh, you know, due to the coronavirus frenzy. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, the different uh, methods these clubs use to kind of uh, – subsidize these losses in any way they they can um you know i don't know if it'll be restructuring of tv deals i don't even know if that's possible as there's i know they're set in stone pretty much um but it'll be interesting to see different ways how they can get fans involved while also making some revenue on the side um to uh, make up for these losses in tickets yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what the teams do. From what I understand, I think it's a team-by-team basis. I could be wrong in that, but I guess we'll get to see how creative these owners will be as far as using this money to try and maybe possibly be more interactive over like Zoom or something of that nature or what they'll do to try to get a more interactive experience with the fans with some of this money. I think if they can some if the no fans are allowed in the season and they can somehow maneuver a uh, virtual reality type experience where you know yeah. you, you ship VR goggles to your fans on whatever like a subscription basis or something and they're able to watch the game through that VR goggle whether you know it's from a uh uh a view from a seat in the stadium or a view from on the field. I mean, definitely interesting to think about. I'm not really sure the technology is that up to date at this point in time, but something interesting to think about, you know, unfortunately you won't be able to, uh, you know, grab a hot dog at halftime, but you know, you can always uh, chef one up on your grill outside if need be. Yeah, I mean, you you, you just got to keep the the Hebrew National in the in the freezer, and I think you should be good on that end. But uh, like you said, the virtual reality is is definitely a great idea. You got to wonder like how creative, the, like I said, how creative the owners will be. And VR is definitely a cool way to try and get the fans involved, and I think fans would be super excited about that. And honestly, could change like fanship moving forward for for years to come, even past coronavirus yeah no doubt no doubt i mean you know obviously they have to make up for the losses now and possibly the vr experience could help with that but in addition to making up for those revenues in the future um they can provide this virtual reality experience in addition to the fans going to the games and paying for those tickets because i'm sure of course a bunch will still have much interest in that definitely Definitely. I mean, I guess we'll see. You got you to see how creative this, these guys will be. For sure. And definitely have to think about some teams like Las Vegas and the Raiders who would have, uh, you know, great, I think, 
great revenue uh, surpluses this upcoming year if they were to be playing in Vegas as opposed to their normal Oakland. So you definitely have to feel for them there. I mean, they already lost out on the draft, which they will be getting in 2022 or 23, something like that. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how it affects these different clubs in different ways as they're in, obviously in different cities across the uh, U.S. Yeah, you got to feel for Las Vegas. Honestly, they had this whole big move planned. And then, I mean, obviously everyone got affected by Corona and it's like, this is such a small blip and like the real consequences of the thing. But in the NFL sphere, Las Vegas definitely got, got hurt in, in that end. Most definitely. Most definitely. So that will about wrap it up for our seventh episode of chalk talk i hope you guys enjoy we're trying to get a little creative with the content we're providing here as it's hard with not so much nfl nba really all sports news nowadays so hope you guys are keeping up with all of our episodes and enjoying our interviews yeah thanks guys and keep listening to us on spotify and give us a follow on all social media at chalk it up daily Yes. And definitely sir. follow us on Spotify and keep 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 keeping up with the old hit that episodes. Follow, hit that subscribe, hit that like button, do what you need to do, and we will supply it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Bye everyone.